0: Okay, we're in Luke 16, and uh, we've been going to um, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and um, we've already covered, It's you know, actually this is a continuation from all the way back to Luke 15, when the Pharisees uh, were criticizing Jesus for associating with the publicans and the sinners, and uh, so this is uh, still a continuation of that same discussion and uh, so Jesus is speaking to his disciples now, but the Pharisees are there listening to this, and he's already talked about the unjust steward, right? And he talks about no servant can serve two masters uh, because of the covetous Pharisees, and so now he is... Uh, kind of wrapping it up with this story a very common story about the rich man and Lazarus okay so uh, that's uh, starting there in verse 19 so I'm going to go ahead and just read the story so we'll have it in our minds and then I'm going to kind of go through some comments about it so in Luke um, 16 19 we read there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day And beside all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said I pray thee therefore father that thou wouldest send him to my father's house for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Father, I come to you now, Lord, uh, absolutely dependent upon you. Uh, There is a lot here in this passage, and we could spend a a few days on this. Uh, But Lord, I just simply pray that you would uh, help us now as we uh, look at this passage, Father, and then uh, may we receive instruction from it. And may we also uh, take note of the context of this story within what Jesus is teaching to not only his disciples, but to these Pharisees as well. Help us, Father, to make application in our own life. And I want to just stop and thank you, Lord God that uh, because of Jesus Christ, those who believe in him, who are covered by his shed blood, do not have to worry about hell, for we have heaven to look forward to. And we thank you and praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, of course, this is that famous, famous story about uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, well, I tell you what, this is one of those passages that there's a lot of different ways you could go with it and uh so before i teach this story within the context of what jesus is instructing not only his disciples but as well as his as well as the pharisees uh that are listening uh, to him i want to i want to explore some uh, some things here that are presented in this passage and and one of them is and is uh, christ uh, telling a parable or is jesus actually speaking of a Actual incident, an actual historical incident, something that that actually happened with literal individuals. Uh, now notice that Jesus begins this story uh, with the phrase "There was a certain rich man now we 've read that before whenever he 's began uh, stories. Uh, there was a certain rich man or there was a certain unjust steward you know there, he always opens you know these these stories. Uh, but uh, what's interesting to me about this particular story that Jesus opens that there was a certain rich man that's kind of an ambiguous title of of someone but not only does he do that but he actually uh, names an individual doesn't he and he actually names an individual by the name of Lazarus whose name means whom God helps that's what Lazarus' name means Now I looked at all the other parables and and stories that Jesus said, this is the only one that he uses an actual individual's name, the only one, and so uh, what I'm thinking here is that uh, the Lord would not have used a name of someone who did not exist. Right? To me, if this was meant to be just a parable, I think he would have left it with that ambiguous nomenclature. Why didn't he just say a certain rich man and a beggar? Right? Why would he name Lazarus the beggar? Uh, So I'm thinking, you know, uh, unlike what folks like to do today, they'll use names in their fictitious stories. Uh, I don't think the Lord would do that. I don't think the Lord would use the name of someone in a fictitious story if that person didn't actually exist. If that person didn't actually exist. Um, he also speaks of this place of torment. Right? This place of torment where this rich man went to. And um, also mentioned the place where, the, where this Lazarus went to, which was a, a place of, of rest. Now I have read... Some folks who take this as a parable all right as a parable as not a real historical event, and they claim that Jesus is trying to emphasize his point through um, hyperbole or embellishment, and what they 've done is they the, they 've taken the position that since this is a parable then there really is no such thing as hell okay so they use this to justify their teaching that there is no such place as hell all right to me that's just foolish Uh, because the Lord spoke of hell in other places didn't he and not necessarily through a story. I mean, he when he spoke of hell, he spoke of a literal, a literal place, a place that uh, was a place of torment, a place where there was what gnashing of teeth, that type of thing. So, uh, and besides that, the Pharisees also believed in this place. So, um, so I don't think this is this is the way I think. I don't think Jesus is speaking of a parable here. I think Jesus is actually talking about a historical event. Something that actually took place. And uh, I think uh, that's pretty sobering if you stop and think about it. Because if, if Jesus is talking about an actual historical event, what does that mean? Yeah, this place exists. And what he's getting ready to say is serious stuff very serious stuff we notice also in both of these cases whether it's Lazarus or it's the rich man now is it the Lazarus that we know of like Martha and Mary's brother I don't know There's a, there were a lot of Lazaruses there were a lot of Josephs uh, there were even a lot of Jesuses okay? so it's a common name but definitely there was some beggar by the name of Lazarus. But anyway, we see in both cases, um, with Lazarus or with the rich man, uh, even though both of these men had physically died, they were still very conscious. Very conscious after, after they died. They were very conscious about their, their state. In other words, neither one of these individuals ceased to exist. Okay? Uh, Even though their physical bodies may have perished, uh, they did not cease to exist. Their their spirits exited the body, and their personalities continued. Their personalities continued. Uh, We see the rich man in torment, and we see Lazarus at rest. Also notice that the rich man, though absent from his body, could see. He could see Lazarus, he could hear, right He could see, he could he could hear, um, he could thirst, he could feel the the torment of the flames. Uh, he wanted Lazarus to dip his lazarus 's finger into water and touch his tongue, other words, these These individuals still had, however it works, they still had those senses that they had when they were physically alive. How does that work? I don't know. But there it is. There it is. A Lazarus experienced rest, a rich man extreme thirst and torment from the flames also notice that the rich man he still possessed emotions right he, he was concerned for his brothers uh, he also had this intellect he spoke with Abraham He appealed to Abraham for his brothers yet alive. He had a a memory of his past life and even an awareness of where he was at, you know, right there at that time. So what we're talking about here, uh, we're speaking of a personality still intact. We're speaking of a consciousness uh, still aware. We're speaking of an emotional entity that's still very much aware. That's sobering to think about. Very sobering to think about. Another thing to mention is that when the rich man died, it says that he was buried. But notice what it says about Lazarus when he died. Jesus says that he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. He was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, could it be that when the redeemed physically die could it be that angels carry their souls into the presence of the Lord I mean certainly in the case of Lazarus this was so aren't angels called ministering spirits in the word of God Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? You know, they're ministering spirits. One of their ministries is to, is to comfort in time of death. You remember when Jesus was in the garden praying, you know, prior to his death? the Lord sent an angel to his son in the garden Luke twenty-two forty-three, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven strengthening him could it be that when the saint is getting ready to pass from this life into the next that God sends an angel to comfort them to strengthen them it's kind of neat to think about I mean consider the comfort this would be to the departing soul To have one of God's ministering spirits there to comfort them, speaking words of encouragement that only they could hear. I've heard testimonies of people who are believers who have, are at that, what we call death's door, and yet they talk about beautiful music or hearing this wonderful voice or something. The book of Daniel speaks of a warfare in the angelic realm, doesn't he? I think that's Daniel chapter 10, where the fallen angels are wrestling over the control of the earth with God's elect angels. Um, Psalms 91.11 says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. In Jude we read where Michael the archangel is contending with the devil about the body of Moses. Moses psalms 34:7. the angel of the lord encampeth round about them that fear him and deliver them i mean we read in the word of god where angels play an important role in the purpose of god and the, in the lives of his people okay again this is just you know speculating But could it be as the righteous soul is is ready to depart from the body, could it be that the elect angels are there to provide some sort of protective escort of that soul as they pass uh, through that realm of warfare? As they usher the soul into the safety, into the presence of the Lord. And can't you imagine the fallen angels crying out, What right does that soul have to enter into his rest or into her rest? The accusing angels? I don't know, that's just speculation. But it's kind of neat to think about things like that. Now when the Bible speaks about hell... Uh, there are, you know, you've got the Hollywood version, <laughs> right, and the comic strips version. What I'm going to do is I'm going to present to you what the Old Testament says, okay? Well, this is what the Old Testament says. Um, when hell is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's talking about the abode of the dead. And this abode of the dead, both the righteous and the unrighteous go there. In the Old Testament uh, the word is the word Sheol that's the most common Hebrew word you're going to find that word is also translated as hell it's also translated as the grave in Genesis thirty-seven thirty-five. it's also translated as the pit in Isaiah 14 it's the abode of the dead it's where all the departed uh, from this life on earth go In Isaiah fourteen nine, it says, "Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming; it stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations." So what we what we uh, learn from this passage is that there's these conscious beings in this place of the abode of the dead. Kings are there, as well as paupers are there. In the Old Testament. From the Old Testament, it's a it's a it's a place of sorrow. uh, Psalms 18:5 says, "The sorrows of hell compassed me about; the snares of death prevented me, or preceded me." So, in the Old Testament mindset, it was a place of sorrows. See, they didn't have the hope that we have alright and we'll get into that in just a minute uh, pain is also associated with this place along with sorrow uh, Psalms one hundred and sixteen three says the sorrows of death compassed me and the pains of hell hell got a hold upon me I found trouble and sorrow so you can see the Old Testament perspective now King David is the one who's writing this alright he's receiving this revelation from God it's also, it's also viewed in the Old Testament as a place of no return Job 7.9 says that the, as the cloud is consumed and vanished away so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more the word grave is the same word sheol so once you're, once you're gone you're gone is what he's saying that, again that's the Old Testament perspective it also is described as a place of, of darkness. Job seventeen thirteen. If I wait, the grave is mine house. I have made my bed in the darkness. We know that hell is the place that the wicked will go when they die. Psalms nineteen uh, nine seventeen 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, all the nations that forget God. But it's also strange to think that not only do the wicked end up in this place but so do the righteous so do the righteous end up in this place known as Sheol in Second Samuel David is singing a psalm about the Lord delivering him he said in Second uh, Samuel 22 starting in verse 5 all the way to verse 7 he says when the waves of death compassed me the floods of ungodly men made me afraid the sours of hell compassed me about the snares of death prevented me in my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God and he did hear my voice out of his temple and my cry did enter into his ears we, here we see David associating death with this place called hell and, but David had a hope. David had a hope. He had the hope of a resurrection. In Psalm 1610, For Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. So there was a hope. For the Old Testament believer, there was a hope. And David was a man after God's own heart, yet his soul... Ended up in what we know of as hell, or Sheol, or the abode of the dead. See, when you think of hell, what do you think of? A fiery place of torment, don't you? Yeah. Well, in the Old Testament, it was where the righteous and the unrighteous both went. Admission into hell was through the grave. Job 33 21 says His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were that were not seen stick out yet his soul draweth near unto the grave and his life to the destroyers. Psalms 141 7. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. Boy that's a graphic picture isn't it? Psalms, uh, Proverbs 7 27 speaks of the woman her house is the way to hell going down to the chambers of death so that you, you get into this place by dying the direct, which, way, which way is hell is hell down or up it's down isn't it it's down Psalms 55 15 says let death seize upon them and let them go down quick into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them, psalms one hundred and fifteen seventeen, the dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence proverbs fifteen twenty four the way of life is above to the wise that he might depart from hell beneath so Hollywood did get that right it 's down um, in the account of um, Saul and the witch of Endor. Are you familiar with that story? And uh, if you want to turn there, you can turn to First Samuel 28. Uh, Saul um, went to this witch in Endor and he wanted her to call up Samuel from the grave. And so in First uh, Samuel 28:11, 11, uh, we see this interchange going on between Saul and this woman verse 11 it says then said the woman whom shall i bring up unto thee and he said bring up me bring me up samuel and when the woman saw samuel she cried with a loud voice and the woman spake to saul saying what has why hast thou deceived me for thou art saul and the king said unto her be not afraid for what sawest thou and the woman said unto her said unto saul i saw gods ascending out of the earth And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived it was Samuel. Later on in this same passage in verse 15, it says, And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? Now Samuel was a righteous man, wouldn't you agree? And you would expect Samuel to come down from heaven. But it says he's coming up. He's coming up from this place that we know of as Sheol or or hell or the grave. I also notice here, uh, Samuel said, why hast thou disquieted me? What does that mean? It means that Samuel was at rest. Wherever it was, he was. He was at rest, just like who? Lazarus in Jesus' story. So wherever Samuel was in this abode of the dead, it was a place of of rest. It was a place of rest. So where is hell? Where, Where is the location of hell according to the Word of God? Well, I believe it's in the very center of the earth. In Deuteronomy 32, in verses 21 through 22, this is the first time you'll read the word hell in your Bible. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanity. So he's talking about their idolatry. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell. That's the first time you'll read the word. And shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. Now, if you turn to Ezekiel 31. Ezekiel 31, in verse 14. It says in Ezekiel thirty-one fourteen. Uh, to the end that none of all the trees by the waters exalt themselves for their height, neither shoot up their top among the thick boughs. Neither their trees stand up and their height all that drink water, for they, all, for they are all delivered unto death. Notice this phrase. To the nether parts of the earth, in the midst of the children with them that go down to the pit. The word nether parts... In the word lowest hell, same thing, same thing. The nether parts is as low as you can go. And as low as you can go as far as the earth is, is, is a smack dab in the center of the earth, right? Because if you're standing in the center of the earth and you move in any direction, a foot, what are you doing? you're starting to go up, right? you're ascending so you're, you're smack dab in the middle of the earth in the nether parts of the earth it's a place populated by the souls of people like I said, the righteous in the Old Testament were there Abraham was there Genesis 25, 8, then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. In his grief, when Jacob thought that Joseph was dead, Genesis thirty-seven thirty-five. and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. When the child conceived through the adulterous relationship between Bathsheba and David, remember when the child died and the David's servants were surprised by his behavior? He says in Second Samuel 12:22, he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Remember, it's a place of no return. He says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And then one more time, let me, let me read again of that incident with Saul and Samuel. Samuel. In 1 Samuel 28, 19, it says, Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee. This is Samuel talking to Saul into the hand of the Philistines. And he says this to Saul. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. So wherever Samuel was that following day, that's where Saul and his sons would be. So that's the righteous. The wicked also populate this place. Going back to Ezekiel 32. Ezekiel 32, starting in verse 21 all the way to verse 23. The strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell with them that helped them. They are gone down. They lie uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Asher is there and all her company. His graves are about him, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, whose graves are set in the sides of the pits. And her company is round about her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, which caused terror in the land of the living. So, just as we read in Jesus' account of the rich man in torment and Lazarus, uh, who is in rest, both the wicked and the righteous are in this place that the Old Testament calls Sheol. Now look at this. You've got to see this in Ezekiel 31. When I saw this, my, my jaw dropped to the floor. Ezekiel thirty-one sixteen. He says, I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall when I cast them down to hell with them that descend into the pit. And then look what he says here. And all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon, all that drink water shall be comforted where? in the nether parts of the earth in the nether parts the same place that the wicked went to and the righteous go to on the one side there's torment but yet on the other side it's like the garden of Eden like the garden of Eden same place, the nether parts of the earth But this Sheol has, for lack of a better term, two separate places. One for the righteous and one for the wicked. One for the righteous and one for the wicked. Notice also, what did the rich man ask for Lazarus to do? To dip his finger in water in this other place there is also water there's also water when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he had those two thieves and they were both railing at him and then one of them became repentant what was it that Jesus said to him when the, when the repentant thief cried out and said in Luke 23 and verse 42, he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Just like Ezekiel described it a paradise. A paradise so the thief when he died went to the very same place that Jesus went which was hell but he went to paradise he went to paradise same place that Samuel was at same place that Lazarus was at so what this tells me is that there were two places two compartments in this place that the Old Testament refers to as Sheol or hell there's two places one place for the righteous one place for the wicked both referred to as Sheol both referred to as Sheol so during his life on earth this rich man uh, would be the kind of man the Pharisees would have highly esteemed right He was rich. These covetous Jews, remember what I said? These covetous Jews believed that uh, the reason why you were rich is because God favored you above other men. That was their thinking. So this rich man in the eyes of the Jews would be uh, one of these men that uh, they would believe uh, that God had favored him. And even though this man may have been wealthy as far as worldly goods, spiritually he was as a beggar. He was a pauper. He was poor. Psalms ten three says, "For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesses the covetous, whom the Lord abhorreth." Remember what Jesus said. He says, "You guys, those things that you highly esteem is what, in the eyes of God, it's an abomination." Not because the rich man was rich, that wasn't what made the man an abomination. It was his heart attitude that made him an abomination in the eyes of God. This rich man indeed proved to be an unjust steward. Where does wealth come from, really? From the Lord. Because we're all stewards of what the Lord has blessed us with. And this man was blessed of the Lord in a mighty, mighty way. But this rich man squandered his opportunity to be a good steward. And he was given the opportunity to be a good steward. And if he was a good steward, he would have been held in high esteem with God. But he failed there. Because in his life, he rose no higher than selfish indulgence with that which God had blessed him with. It says here he sumptuously fared every day. So who did he spend that wealth on? Himself. Himself. He was indeed a slave to mammon and he enjoyed his servitude to mammon. Day by day he passes by this beggar Lazarus who was laid at his gates for the purpose of maybe maybe this rich man would have mercy on Lazarus. And day by day he passes this man and he fails in his opportunity to help this man. In his physical life it was a gate that separated he and Lazarus and in his death a great gap separated him from Lazarus you know at first when Lazarus was laid at his gate he may have taken notice of him but he didn't help him and as time went by and as he passed this man this man this beggar this Lazarus Became nothing more than a fixture. Right? A pile of rags. A pile of rags. And of course death comes to us all. Whether you're a rich man or a poor man. Ecclesiastes 2.16 For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten how dieth the wise man as the fool as the fool so the death comes to all men both rich and poor, they both die the rich man ends up in torment and Lazarus ends up in paradise and then we have this remarkable intercourse between the rich man and Abraham and he cries out um, sin Lazarus he says, Father Abraham have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame Proverbs twenty-one thirteen says, whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself that shall not be heard the rich man while alive on earth who had need of nothing regarded himself independent didn't need to ask anybody for anything he now finds himself in the place of a beggar Proverbs eighteen eleven says the rich man's wealth is his strong city and has a high wall in his own conceit he thought he was fixed for life but he wasn't for the next was he It wasn't for the next. In essence, what Abraham was saying to this rich man was this. He says, you've squandered your opportunity. Just like that unjust steward that Jesus was talking about. He had mismanaged the wealth that God had given him, had provided him. And instead of helping Lazarus out, he lavished it all upon himself. When Lazarus, though a poor man, you never read Lazarus blaming God for his situation. You never read Lazarus blaming God for his poverty. And yet Lazarus was rewarded by going to paradise. Not because he was poor, but because of his faith and trust in God. Jeremiah nine twenty three and 24 says Thus saith the Lord Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom Neither let the mighty man glory in his might Let not the rich man glory in his riches But let him that, hath, that glorieth glory in this That he understandeth and knoweth me That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness Judgment and righteousness in the earth For in these things I delight saith the Lord if you want to boast about anything, don't boast about your career or your wealth or what you've done. You boast about the fact that you know God. After death, the time of grace is past. That probationary uh, period we call life on earth ends at death. And how we live life now, will be reviewed later. Ecclesiastes 9:10 says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might; for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest." Now is the time to be good stewards. And the rich man he realizes his hopeless state because of his heartless self-serving life and so what he does is he entreats Abraham for for his for his brethren and he wants Abraham to send Lazarus back to his brethren brethren to warn them of this place so that they would repent so they wouldn't have the the same fate that he had. And Abraham reminds this man of what he certainly knew for himself while he was alive, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to Moses and the prophets. If they listen to the word of God, then they're going to escape this rich man's fate. You know, this rich man realizes that he had this very same opportunity. Chances are this man went to synagogue every Saturday every feast day I mean any self-respecting Jew would do that and Saturday after Saturday after Saturday he heard from, the, from Moses he heard from the prophets but like so many people who sit in churches it goes in one ear and out the other or it doesn't apply to me or, yeah, yeah, I, I'll get around to it. Proverbs twenty-one sixteen says, The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. You know, you kind of wonder how many folks who are part of this congregation are not in actuality a part of the congregation of the dead because they... Do not heed the word of God that's preached Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Realizing this, he he assures Abraham that if one should come back from the dead, they'll listen. They'll listen to him. And then, brethren, and then Abraham says, if your brothers are, are like you, they'll also be full of unbelief and worldliness and they're not listening to the word of God now chances are they won't listen even if someone comes back from the dead undoubtedly I think Jesus had in mind his own resurrection because who else was he talking to besides the disciples the Pharisees the Pharisees these men would later on try to cover up the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The very sign that Jews demanded of him, he would provide them through his resurrection. But we know from the Bible that they didn't believe that. They didn't even believe that. So I think once again, in the context of this story... Of these, of these two chapters, what the Lord is doing, he's kind of shooting a warning shot over their bow. These self righteous and covetous men. It's not whether a man is rich or poor that gets him into heaven, it's the heart attitude. It's the heart attitude towards God. And he's trying to show these men your heart's not right your heart's not right in death life on earth is over and as far as the deceased are concerned any opportunity to do good is gone it's too late it's too late it's like Jeremiah says he says let him that glorieth glory in this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord which exercised loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. That is absolutely contrary to what this rich man in the story did. This is absolutely contrary to what these Pharisees are doing. Because remember, in the, big, in the beginning of chapter 15, they were criticizing Jesus for associating with who? The publicans and sinners so Jesus is addressing their hard attitude wake up guys you're this rich man before it's too late listen to what I'm telling you Okay, I got time to close good now let me say something else about this uh, place in Sheol known as paradise or Abraham's bosom Something remarkable happened. Something remarkable happened. The Old Testament promises uh, that the righteous are not abandoned to this place known as Sheol. Let me read you some verses. Psalms 86, 13. He says, For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell, the nether parts. Psalms 49:15, "But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for He shall receive me." See law. Hosea 13:14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave, I will redeem them from death, O death, I will be thy plagues, O grave, I will be thy destruction, repentance shall shall be hid from mine eyes. Job 19.25 For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reign shall be consumed within me. One more, Psalm 16:10 For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy capital H, holy, capital O, one, holy one, to see corruption. Remember, Jesus went down to hell, to Sheol. And a remarkable event took place. When Jesus died on the cross, was that the end? What else happened? He, he Yeah, he rose from the grave, didn't he? Ephesians 4.8 says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity, captive, and gave gifts unto men what Jesus did when he died on the cross and he went down into this place he he emptied this place he emptied it out and all of those Old Testament righteous dead he took with him into heaven they're now in heaven how do we know this Remember what this place was called? Paradise? That's what it was called. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul is giving a testimony. He says, It is not expedient me, for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then he gives a testimony, something that he experienced. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell God knoweth such a one caught up to the third heaven and I knew such a man whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter this place that was called paradise that was down in another parts of the earth is no longer there. Because Jesus came down and emptied it out and took all of those righteous souls with him. And now they're up in the third heaven with the Lord. Because Christ had entered into the heavenly heavenly, heavenly holy of holies, as Paul talks about in, in Hebrews 9, 23 through 28. He's made a better offering than the blood of bulls and goats. And that veil has now been rent from top to bottom. And now all of those righteous souls are now covered by the atoning blood of Christ, which was pictured in the animal sacrifices. And now they have gone with him into the third heaven. And for us New Testament believers, when we die... We don't have to worry about this place, do we? Because we're ushered immediately into the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body? is to be present with the Lord. The wicked are still there. They're still here. That's not the end for them. Remember back in Revelations? When death and hell shall give up their dead they're waiting that great white throne judgment they're still there and people are still going there and we've got we've got the answer for them not to go there I think that's why we don't hear hell talked about very much because it kind of puts that accountability on us this is a probationary period that we're living in guys a probationary period while we're alive on earth we still have time we still have time remember what Ecclesiastes said whatsoever thy hand findeth to do do it with thy might 1 Corinthians 10 31 says whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do do all to the glory of God what would bring God more glory than to tell the good news of Jesus Christ that would keep folks from filling this place up So we got a choice: live for self and serve mammon, or live for Christ and serve others. Be an unjust steward, or be a just steward. The choice is ours. But remember this: Second Corinthians five ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the th- things done in his body according to that he hath done. Whether it be good or bad. To me, that is the sober teaching of this place. The sober teaching of this place. Doyle, can I ask you to close us out in prayer? Heavenly Father, all we thank you to get opportunity to help for come here and study your word. Thank you for jail.